Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an Associate Professor of Management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Good afternoon, everybody. Today on the Phronesis podcast, I have a really fun conversation with Dr. Cynthia Cherry, and she is the president and CEO of the International Leadership Association, which is a global community committed to increasing quality research, teaching, and practices of leadership, contributing to the common good around the world. It's an organization that I've mentioned many, many times on this podcast. So today we are going to the source, which I am so excited to do. Before Sin was with the ILA, she served as a lecturer in the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs and vice president for campus life at Princeton University. And of course, there's a lot more. There's a lot more. Sin, what gaps do we need to fill in that that I've not shared with our listeners so far? Thank you for being here. Well, Dr. Allen, it's a pleasure to be here. And I have to congratulate you on your podcast series and on being an ILA fellow. And for us moving forward to have this podcast series as an ILA podcast along with you. We are so excited to be in partnership with you. I am excited as well. Thank you so much for reaching out. We are going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have some incredible conversations. And I think this partnership is going to do some real good in the world. I really do believe that. So thank you, Sin. Tell us about you. Let's see. I have been, as you mentioned, with the ILA since its very beginning, which started in the um, 1999. But prior to that time was a part of the KLSP program that brought together about 50 scholars in the field of leadership to talk about leadership at that time. And it was the very first time that it happened. When that was going on, I was actually at the University of Southern California. So I've had a long history in higher education overall um, from University of Southern California, both in the graduate teaching program in leadership and higher education, as well as in student affairs work. And then from there at Tulane University as vice president for student affairs and um, had the experience of being at Tulane during Hurricane Katrina, 
which of course brought me then into the whole experience of actualizing crisis leadership, which we can also talk briefly about if you would like at some time. And then Princeton wow. University, but through the thread of all the work I have done has been the study and the practice of leadership. Take us back to that original meeting. Who, who are some of the players in the room having conversations about what would become the ILA? Can you share some stories? Without names or with names? With names, of course. <laughs> this was an experience of a lifetime to be uh, sitting in the same room with James McGregor Burns, who was one of the founders of the ILA, along with Georgia Sorensen. And of course, the person who helped the funding of that program was Lorraine Matusak, um, who was a program director at the Kellogg Foundation at the time. So the KLSB was funded by a Kellogg grant for four years. And in that room at the University of Maryland were the individuals like Ronnie Heifetz, James McGregor Burns, Georgia Sorensen, Gil Hickman, Joanne Chula, Barbara Kellerman, Bernie Bass, and um, Peter Vale. Um, just some of the names that you would think of that would be in that had been studying leadership from their discipline or their perspective, but had never really gotten in the same room together. So the goal of the KLSP was to bring together eminent scholars who were studying leadership from their perspective, if it was political science or business um, or liberal arts or philosophy, um, to gather together for four years to really focus on some key areas. And one was ethical leadership, transformational leadership, leadership and followership to develop concept papers out of that. That group convened for four years. And when it wrapped up, there was a bridge grant, if you will, which became the Meeting of the Minds Conference at the University of Southern California, where Barbara Kellerman, was the lead and then um, asked if I would host it. So we had a hundred um, professionals from across the country who came together to further this conversation. And I think one of the pivotal moments for me out of that conversation was it was the first time that Warren Bennis and James McGregor Burns got together in person. They knew of each other's work. They were highly respective of each other's work. One was in the political science, political theorist for Jim Burns, and Warren being in a business area. Um, so they knew of each other's work, had read each other's work. In fact, I think had even talked to each other, but had never met. And at that meeting, Jim Burns introduced Warren, and Warren gave a keynote. And Warren introduced Jim Burns, and they gave a keynote. Well, and I have to imagine some of the conversations were absolutely fascinating over those four years. Were there, were there any others that stood out for you? Moments where maybe even there's not disagreement in a negative way, but just vastly different perspectives as we're trying to make sense of the landscape. And I was also surprised a little bit that there was a working group on leaders and followership as well. That's interesting. Robert Kelly, um, and Ed Hollander, and Ed was the uh, chair of that of that group. I'd say another 
a VAC group, there was a moment where you learn in our work the disconnect sometimes between what you write about a topic versus the practice, a conversation where um, three or four of the leadership scholars were strongly disagreeing with each other, not on content, but on process. And they were, there was a tug and pull. Um, and many of us in the room were just watching this. And at the end, after about a half an hour of this going on, um, you know, it was a wonderful example of the difference between authority and power, right? And at the end of this conversation, Jim Burns steps in, in his very thoughtful, insightful way and turn the conversation on its head and got everybody moving in the same direction. And it was just eloquently and beautifully done. And that's what Jim Burns could do, right? He was a student of leadership and he wanted all of us to be students of leadership. And so what he did was he talked about the content of that conversation and the process of that conversation at the same time. I was only in the room with him a few times, only in the room with Bernie Bass a few times. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with Bernie Bass. I think I was still a doctoral candidate. And I said, how are you so prolific? And he looked at me and he said something to the effect, and I'm not going to get the mathematics correct here because I can't do that that quickly. But he said, you know, two pages a day is 700 plus words a year. <laughs> right? That's never left me. It's never left me. And I think when I saw James McGregor Burns speak, it was after his book, Transforming Leadership, had come out. I think it was one of his last publications. But, you know, with the passing recently of Lorraine Matusik and Georgia Sorensen, who I tried to get on the podcast, we were so close to having her as a guest. You know, it's just so special to be in a room with some of these giants in the field and to have been there at that moment with 50 plus giants and in those early days where of the organization of ILA where we're still exploring and bringing these different perspectives together now fast forward 20 plus years and we're still embroiled in some of those conversations. <laughs> but that's what a field is, isn't it? I mean, there should be this sense of debate and conversation. Um, one of the other, I think, interesting points of that time together was Joe Rost, who was another individual um, who was at the University of San Diego, and um, said, you know, we are all so close to, to defining leadership. I think with all, with this collective brain twist, we should be able to come up with the definition of, of leadership. And people said, go at it. And he worked at it for the entire afternoon for four hours. Georgia Sorensen and Jim Burns said, go, go at it. And he couldn't because people, you know, you know how scholars get down to the, to the word. And that's part of the strength of, of being a scholar and a researcher, right, in that sense. But at the end, he just said, okay, we can agree on general principles, but we really can't agree on the definition. And I think, you know what, that's okay. Flash forward, 
we just had a task force that came together to look at guiding standards for academic leadership programs. And they came away with this wonderful set of guiding questions for academic leadership programs that can really assess the development for new programs and to evaluate how you're doing in your present program. But the other thing they did is they came up with general leadership principles for all leadership programs. That's profound. And we're rolling that out this year. Um, it's on the ILA website right now. But that task force, chaired by Sudna Hall and Gama Perucci, did phenomenal work. And the task force members were from all over the world. It is a wow. very diverse and wickedly smart group of professionals that work together really hard. And they built off of other areas, which is what happens in this field, right? In the sense of um, Lorraine and Georgia. Yeah, we lost two of our founders. And when you think about what they did in leaving a legacy, that's going to echo for generations. Would you talk a little bit about them? Uh, Georgia was a person who was a dreamer and a doer. Mm. That's a powerful combination. She knew she wasn't always the one who was going to get it done, but she knew who to um, engage to get it done. Her doing was engaging and involving others. All right. And she did this in a very brilliant way. She was a person who often... Um, modeled what she talked about in terms of invisible leadership, right? She was really that sense of purpose and the drive that made things happen. Um, and she engaged others along the way to bring them along. So she was a dreamer and a doer. Lorraine had the vision and she was the person who could convince others that this is what had to happen. And she's known for saying leadership for what, right? So make yeah. sure when you do something, you measure it and you do it and you do it well. Um, so both of them, powerful, powerful scholars and leaders for the field, that both of them, along with Jim Burns, right? We had the father and our two mothers for as our founders and they did an amazing job at laying the groundwork and leaving a legacy and building the field of leadership. And as you think about today, what are some things now that excite you? What are you looking to that is on the horizon or that's happening as we speak that really uh, energizes you. And it could be something like the, the guiding standards, that which we'll post in the show notes for sure. But what are some other things that are happening that really energize you? So again, I'll tie the beginning of our founding with today. As the ILA was being discussed and this association, right after the meeting of the minds and people are saying, we have to continue and to do that, we need to, we need to have an association. And as we looked at that, the name came up. It has to be not only an association of leadership scholars. 
it has to be an association that brings those who study and practice leadership together, which then also implied those who teach leadership. That had to be there. And second, it can't just be a North American association. It has to be international. So it was bold and bodacious from the very beginning. And Barbara Kellerman was the first executive director of the ILA for the years at when she was at the University of Maryland at the Burns Academy. And we've always been international and we always strive to have this comprehensive global membership. And we're continuing to strive at that, work really hard at it. But one of the things that I'm very excited about right now is as we were talking about being international and being a global association, what does that mean for global leadership? And so Mike Hardy, as the chair of the board, and myself talked about how do we bring together global leaders to talk about global leadership? And so we asked Kim Campbell if she would chair this group. Um, And as many of our members know, um, Kim Campbell was an ILA. She keynoted for us. She was on the board um, early on. And as the former prime minister of Canada and as a founder of a leadership school at a university in Canada, she gets it. And so Kim said, absolutely, I'll do this. And we invited Lord John Alderdice. We invited George Papadreou, who's the former prime minister of Greece. We invited Ronnie Heifetz as a leadership scholar, Gil Hickman as a leadership scholar, Larry Diamond from the Hoover Institute at Stanford as a person who brings democracy to the forefront. And because right now the fragility of democracies brought this group together and talked about what is and what do we mean about global leadership today? And what do we need to be looking forward towards? What are the foresights for global leadership moving forward? Because we know the world is more complicated, more complex, more interdependent, If anything, it's hyper-connected. What does all of that mean for global leadership in an era when we are dealing with lots of systemic change that's taking place around the world? And it's different. What does that mean for governments? What does that mean for business? What does that mean for systems? And what does that really mean? The outcome of this is what are the questions we should be asking ourselves around global leadership moving forward? What are the questions around global leadership that we should be researching? So that's the nexus of the project. And the next steps are a brief white paper that has a series of questions. And we're going to open this up to a series of roundtables, both online with our ILA membership and on site with various partners to dig even deeper and get more perspectives on what are the questions that we should be asking ourselves moving forward. So I'm very excited about that project. Well, and if we're asking the right questions, that that can make all the difference sometimes. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Well, what else? What else is exciting you as you look at the landscape right now of ILA? One of the things that uh, we have a partner 
that is um, IREX, which is a partner that works around global exchanges uh, around the world. And they also support the uh, Mandela Fellowship, which is every year 700 fellows in African nations who are in that 25 to 35 age bracket and are doing phenomenal and amazing work within their communities in all different sectors. And Deborah from the ILA, she had mentioned this and I can't wait. I mean, it's, it's, that's a perfect example, Sin, of how this relationship can work so beautifully because I can't wait to have some conversations with some of those individuals and capture those conversations and maybe even create a little bit of a series of those conversations so that people all over the world can hear their stories, right? So I love that. Scott, you will be blown away by this talent, the talent in these fellows. When uh, the ILA did a our conference at the University of Pretoria in South Africa, one of the fellows was there who's a veterinarian, and he's doing some amazing work, leadership work in his community. He came to the ILA, presented the work that he's doing along with a leadership scholar who he had met. And together, they're just doing this amazing work. Those are the types. I mean, he's he's not the only one. There are so many like that. It's a game changer, right? We also met with a um, fellow who is changing the way to grow grapes and make wine in South Africa. And he's creating this entire ecosystem. And again, he connected with leadership scholars and telling the story of how he transformed this family business into this leadership business and into this great example of of an ecosystem of today. He's another good person you should interview. Yes, maybe I'll have to go do an on-site visit for that one. (laughs) And some on-site tasting. Yes, that's that's kind of what I meant. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And tell me about your experience of hosting last year's conference online. What are your reflections on that? Because there's been so much that has shifted in this last year. Sin, I came across a statistic the other day. This is healthcare now. I'm switching, way switching topics on you. But I think this pandemic has accelerated the digital space by years and years and years and years at this point. I mean, there were 1 billion telehealth visits last year. 1 billion telehealth visits. Now, just think how far healthcare would have come in that one year that there were 1 billion telehealth visits. And so I have to imagine all of these conferences that occurred online. I just spoke with the executive director of the Management and Organizational Behavior Teaching Society. He said that their membership has increased a lot and it's gotten more global because people had access, because people could attend, people could be involved in a different way. So what are some of your reflections on that experience? I mean, of course, we want to get back to to, to live events and being with one another, but there's also opportunity in some of this space. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, and we all know that 
um, in crises, there is different forms of innovation. That is one of the beautiful things that, I mean, what, that I have learned and that the research shows us that in crises, it amplifies our weaknesses and it amplifies our strengths. Well, and there had to have been some opportunities that emerged with even the digitization of the conference last year in November. I mean, it was wonderful that we could get Ron Heifetz and Ron Riggio, and one's in Hawaii, I think he was, and one was in California, and we can hear a dialogue between the two of them and people from all over the globe engaging. And there were these virtual happy hours that I was attending for a couple nights in a row. <laughs> it was so much fun, and it was so wonderful to engage in that way. I guess my, my question for you would be, what was your observation? I mean, obviously, we want to get back to face-to-face. But what's your observation on that experience as you reflect on it? I think one of the things that we have learned in leadership, um, and especially with crisis leadership, is that it opens the opportunity for change, right? And that we know that humans love to connect and that humans are creative. And so with this last year, technology just ramped up considerably. And individuals with their need to connect found ways to learn very quickly and to adapt to the new technology very quickly, all in this focus of wanting to connect with each other and to feel some semblance of, of, of the work that they do around leadership or whatever the profession is, right? So this sense of connection. So putting on a conference, a global conference, if you will, like yeah. this does lend itself to the opportunity to invite individuals who you could never get to fly to San Francisco for a short period of yes. time. The fact of having Dr. Tedros, um, the, direct, the, the director general of the World Health Organization, to spend time with us. And he stepped out of a United Nations meeting um, in <laughs> Geneva to join us online that, of course, no one else knows, but we know from in terms of his stepping out of one room and into another or on one computer and onto another computer. But it's that sense of having the ability for people to join, for you to keynote, um, for me to keynote in different parts of the world. Now, I personally have to say I miss the meeting with the people and immersing in the culture, which yeah. you can get a taste of, but not the full banquet when yeah. you're online. Um, yeah. But there are other ways at that it benefits even more. It allows those who couldn't join and couldn't attend to now join us at the global conference. So there was this increase of members from different parts of the world. So those type of things, and that allows for different types of interactions. Um, so we will continue to do that type of work. I think the future of the association of the ILA and many others is how do you create these high flex models? How do you develop those on-site conferences and summits and meetings that are so important um, where you immerse yourself in the culture of a place and also have the online virtual sessions. And how do you do both? Because there were folks that I met in, from Europe. I, I had Jonathan Reams on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and, you know, editor of Integral Review. And 
that was a f- wonderful conversation. And I met him as a direct result of, because I think, again, there's a myth. Well, we're not going to, you can't meet people and mingle in the same way. Well, you can. It's different. It's different. But I think some of those aims can be met. And I think it's just a really interesting time that we're in because it'll be fascinating to watch how we reintegrate into the world. And at the same time, I think we take cues from our kids, like you do from yours, in the sense of, I can think of of my grandkids that are saying, they're so excited to get back to school and to see their friends. And it's okay to be online and see them on, on on as a square, but they're so excited to be back in school. And they also want that, that human touch, that social context. So taking cues from our younger generations of younger generation of how to connect in different ways, if it's online for certain things and in person in other ways, it's just going to be important in how we move forward. That's going to be the interesting thing. How do we continue to get creative and innovative even when we don't have to as much? Well, send one more question. And this is just a, from your purview of, of the field, because so much crosses your path. What are some opportunities that you think we, we need to explore as, as a place of inquiry? What, what needs further investigation? What are the opportunities in that space? Just off the top of mind, probably because of some of the things I'm reading right now, how do we move forward around the topics of leadership and trust, right? Trust in governments, trust in business, trust in systems. Another big area is all around leadership and democracy and the fragility of democracy, but also leadership in autocratic societies and how do we live and work in a world that is operating with both. Those two come top of mind, I guess, leadership for humanity and continuing to think, as I'm so focused right now on leadership in this global world, in this interdependent, interconnected world, how do we think about leadership differently? How do we get out of the leader model, the individual perspective, to thinking about leadership embedded in the system and leadership for all and with all, because as the World Economic Forum and others have talked about in this world, how do we think about competition and cooperation? And both are important. And and balancing balancing those, right? How do you ensure that how do you ensure that large factions of people at least have access to uh, even the base level needs, and so that they have a hope of self-actualizing, a hope of progressing, getting further. That, for me, is the ultimate leadership for what. It's how do we level that playing field and provide opportunity for millions and millions of people to thrive, right? Uh, I think, Scott, you are one that so many people are grappling with, and we and more need to grapple with is around leadership and equity. And if there's anything this pandemic has done, we've slipped back on areas around the gap in poverty, the gap on gender equity. Those gaps have gotten larger again. Um, and 
it's it's hard after there was progress made for a few years. So equity and leadership is going to be a critical piece of of all of us working towards in the very near future. Well, Sin, let's wind down there. And I always close out the podcast with a couple questions. And it's really just about what you've been streaming or listening to or reading that stood out for you in recent months. And it could have to do with leadership. Maybe it has nothing to do with leadership. Well, probably another area, which I would say is a big and huge area that I didn't even think of top of mind was around sustainability and regenerative futures. So yes, I'm reading Bill Gates's book right now around climate. And what I love about it is what each of us can do individually, as well as what we need to do collectively. So that's actually a book I'm reading. And the other one for fun is Walter Isaacson's book on the Codebreaker, which is a um, good book, but takes a while to go through. But he's a wonderful writer. And I learn something every time I read one of his books. Yeah, I think I read Einstein. That was Isaacson, correct? Or at least he wrote a book about Einstein and then Steve Jobs. Yeah. I haven't, I have not explored. It's called Code Breakers. Code Breakers. It just came out. Um, And Einstein was a wonderful book. And having lived in Princeton and lived close to where he had a home, it was like being a part of the history as it's unfolding. I used to walk by a statue of, of Einstein every day on my way to work. And it was right by a stoplight and it had some of his major sayings on it. So you would stop and if you, you almost hope for a red light because you could read another one of his quotes and just ponder it for a day. Right. So the beauty of living in, in towns like that and the, the joy, I mean, I've, it's a joy of, of that type of work, but I, am so honored and have such a privilege and a responsibility to be a part of the International Leadership Association and the work that the members are doing. I mean, you gain so much energy by what others are doing. And then I am always, we talk about being in awe of being in this group of 50 individuals who are the founders in many ways of the ILA. I am in awe every day of the work that ILA members are doing around the world. It's phenomenal research and practice and teaching that's taking place. Isn't it so cool? I mean, again, if you look at my list of guests, a large number are ILA members, longtime ILA members, really doing very cool work in their space and exploring and conducting research and engaging in practice and developing leaders. It's just such a wonderful community. It just is. And and it's been an honor to be a part of it since I think the conference in Seattle was my first, which might have been in the 90s, back in the 90s. Oof. (laughs) Stin, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for really creating a space for all of that work to occur. I think, uh, again, my my primary relationships in this work have stemmed from this organization, which is a result of your work and the work of others, of course, but of, of, the, of your work over the years and creating that space for people to make those connections, build relationships, and hopefully do some good in the world. So thanks for all you do. Thank you. The work of many, collective leadership. 
You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phronesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phronesis. If you like Phronesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation Podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.